Welcome to Two Lit Mamas, a kid lit podcast for parents, teachers, and writers. I'm Heather Kaufman Peters. I'm the mother of one teenage boy. I'm a preschool teacher and a writer. And I'm Margie Ozimet, mom to two boys, 12 and six, and a middle school teacher and writer. Welcome to the sixth episode of Two Lit Mamas. Today, we'll be discussing middle grade books about LGBTQIAP plus kids and families. That's a lot of letters. Good job. You got them all. Thank you. Since Margie and I are two straight cisgender mamas, we've invited a special guest to join us. So today we have special guest star, a dear friend of mine for over 25 years, John Petrie. Yay! John Petrie is a writer, actor, dancer, bookseller, and all-around creative genius. I miss like a gazillion things in there, but he does it all. Um, he's had work published in journals and magazines, including True Romance. He's recently published two YA books, The Quarterback's Crushed, Crush, excuse me, and Buried Secrets through Harmony Inc. Press. He's a key contributor to Don't Sue Us Please podcast and has the fine honor of being godfather to both of my sons. And he is joining us today from New York. Hello. Hi, Johnny. What would you like to say? Like you can get a word in edgewise, please. Uh, Well, I try. What are you working on now? Tell us what you're working on. What I'm working on now, I am doing rewrites. I'm doing a second draft on a sports romance, which is odd because I'm not generally a sports person. When you do the sport, anything with the sports in it, do you just, do you watch the sports on television? Because I feel like in all the, I don't even think you ever watch an Eagles game with me in all our years in Philadelphia. Well, first of all, I would never watch an Eagles game. Um, (laughs) In your face. I can't believe we're going to break up after all this time. Yes. So when I was young, I I did actually watch a lot of basketball. Um, That was like prime Celtics era where it was Larry Bird, Kevin McHale, Tiny Tiny Archibald, you know, it was all of those guys, Robert Parrish, et cetera, et cetera. So I did watch a lot of basketball. Um, I watched some Patriots um, over the years, although I am hoping that I never have to hear the name Tom Brady again. You and me both. I'm sure he's a lovely person. Best wishes to him, but no. So anyway, for research when I'm doing sports, it generally tends to be less about the sport itself and much more about... It's a lot of podcasts with interviews with people who are at varying levels of success in it. Because to me, it's like, what do you talk about? What's your syntax? What are questions that are people asking you? You know, is your your level of interest in the sport obsessive because it's required of you? Or is it obsessive because this is what you've always wanted to do? Where are you well-rounded? What is, you know, what does your spouse do? Like, it's, it's much more about understanding the conversations that, for me, it's about the conversations that go around the sport, because the sport's just the, the you know, it's the smallest room in the house, it's the mud room in the house. And it, it's there, and it's important, but it's not structurally, for me, what the story is about. The story is about whatever two people are interacting in a particular scene or however many people are interacting in a particular scene. So it's not really about the sport itself. So I do do a lot of research, 90% of which I never use, but at least it's floating around the back of my brain. So in addition to that, I'm working on something um, that I've not done before, which is a historical piece, which gathering all of the research and sources, but not really doing the research yet, just going, Oh, well, I have these 18 books, but I haven't read any of them. So it's not really helpful yet. Mm -hmm. What period are you working in? Uh, 1940s America. One of my faves. I was going to say, that's your jam, Heather. 
Oh, very nice. Big band swing. Yes. I love that era. I like the seventies because I like big mustaches. <laughs> <laughs> we talked about mustaches last time. <laughs> I know. I was just going to say, can we edit that out? Cause that's going to become like some sort of cultish thing. <laughs> People with giant mustaches will be like just sending me stash shots. Yeah. I'm a huge historical fiction buff. So I would love to read whatever you got going on. That sounds awesome. So what made you pick sports then to begin with? because you loved basketball in high school or? Um, No, to me, it starts, what's the story that I'm interested in telling? And in this case, it's a romance. And then what's the most interesting way to tell that story? How has that story not been told? What point of view hasn't been talked about or has been talked about only a little bit? And then the sort of challenge is, can I make something that I don't know anything about work correctly? You know, ultimately, it's always about the relationship between, in a romance, it's always about the relationship between the two people. But can I tell this story in a way that that I don't necessarily think that I can? And, you know, sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. Sometimes you abandon something halfway through. But we'll see when we get through second draft. Can I just tell you, you're making my heart so happy right now because... I am love to learn new things and that's why I like to write too. And I just feel like that's exactly what you said. You're just, you're challenging yourself to write about something that you know little about. I think that's awesome. Well, thank you. I think it's good for your, keeps your brain going too. Does, yeah. I think you need that challenge. It's easy to follow into a rut. And I think that by switching up genres or switching up, even like going into historical fiction versus, you know, contemporary fiction or something like that, it opens a new category like for me getting out of humor is really hard (laughs) really hard and I'm working on a a project right now rewrites on one right now and I'm like it's so hard for me not to want to like crack fart jokes it's just like that's what I've always done that's what I always have found the most comfortable so but anyway should we get into our books let's get started Well, we chose two books today that give us a little look into what's out there as far as LGBTQIAP plus characters and themes for middle grade readers. Now, there's a lot more in the in the upper grades and there always have tended to be a lot more. And so, but the lower grades and especially the books that we have are looking at today, what I would both consider both of them to be lower middle grade. So I would say grade three to six ish. Would you agree? Yeah, I agree. And that's what we wanted to kind of center on because that's kind of, um, I would say, Johnny, do you disagree? That's kind of, it's kind of a relatively new area to, to kind of attack these themes. What do you think? Yeah, for that age, definitely. As per usual, I think one of the things that people sort of seem to forget is <clears throat> because it takes so long to write and edit and publish something, there's this need that people go, well, like, why is there not more out there now? And it's like, well, because people are only asking for it now and you're not going to get it for another two years. You know, it's like, I want a little brother. Well, that's going to take at least nine months. So just (laughs) hold on. We're just seeing the beginning of it because in all of my research looking for lists for lower middle grade, I, I can't say I came up with more than really 15 or 20. So John, were there a lot of books that were representative when you were in school or younger? No, but I think, so just to put things into perspective, I am 50. Not yet, honey. Not yet. You got six months. We're holding on. Me too. I'm going to start telling people I'm 55 soon. And that way everybody's going to be like, wow, you look great. (laughs) Thanks. 
I just turned 60 three days ago. Woohoo! So there's a couple of things just sort of historically to keep in mind. First of all, I was in fifth grade when the first New York Times story, Gay Cancer, hit the paper. Were we that young? Well, that was the first time the story hit the paper. I was, I would have been a freshman in high school, I guess, when Ronald Reagan was elected. And I was, so let's just, just to sort of put this into perspective, I was in fifth grade when the first New York Times story hit, gay cancer. Mm -hmm. I was a senior in high school before the first time Ronald Reagan said AIDS publicly. Really? So just to put that into perspective. So if you place that, there would have been no way it was, and I make no political statements. I'm not a historian. I'm just saying this is my story. Um, you know, so it was a very conservative time. There really was not a lot out there. What I will say, because I think, you know, a sixth, seventh grader now is probably the equivalent of a, you know, a ninth, 10th grader when I was young, because we weren't exposed to as much. So I, I think there were a fair amount of, um, historically speaking, why even YA lit is fairly new. I think there were a lot of things that I came across as a late teen, early 20s person that I would say are probably middle school appropriate now. They're not labeled that way because they're YA, but they're very, they're very innocent. Yeah, but even your first book, I would say, I would let my 12-year-old read it. I thought that was very beautiful, little innocent romance, but it's it was labeled YA, right? Yeah. We've talked about this before. A lot of the stuff that was considered YA when we were kids is now shifted more to middle grade. Yeah. I mean, I, honest to God, I didn't really know there were gay books. There were like a gay section of the bookstore until I started hanging out with you. When you were working at the bookstore and I would come and see you. And I agree. I think that it's 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 incredible how much time it how much has changed in such a short time, but how much was it was so badly needed? Yeah, and I think also there's the category, categorization of books and bookstores. So when we were in school um, and I was working in that particular bookstore, um, most of the stuff that was in the, at that time it was called Gay and Lesbian, was very adult. Oh, was it? Okay. Anything that was not... Um, anything that was middle grade, anything that was think it maybe at the time it was called teen or yeah, but all that there were no separate sections. You weren't categorizing that. If you came across it, you came across it, but you had to go searching for it, or you had to hope that the a bookseller had come across it, or that you read the right article. There was no internet. And if you're a twelve year old who's questioning. Like you're going to go search it out. That's, that's risky. That's scary. You know, like, and like the character in the book, he's like, I don't even know what I am. I just know that I'm not like everybody else. And I really need to somebody to kind of explain the options to me. Yeah. So the first book we read was Rick by Alex Gino and Rick is a companion piece to George. So George came out in 2015 and that was about a third grader named George who was transgender and became Melissa. Rick was in the book, George. There was such a demand that uh, Alex Gino decided that the best thing to do was to write not a sequel, but a companion. So to pull some of the other characters out and then tell their story. And it is, it's a sweet little book. It's a very sweet little book. Rick is 11 
and he's starting middle school and he's going into sixth grade and his sister, his older brother's already in college. His sister leaves for college at the beginning of the book. And his parents are constantly like, well, you know, do you see any girls you like? And his mom's like, or boys. It's a great look at parents trying really hard to be understanding. Like, well, you can like boys or girls. We don't care. Either way, just are happy. You know, and I think it, it's it's nice because, because I kept seeing myself. I do that to my kids all the time. Every time anybody asks them, I'm like, someday you're going to get married and I'm like, to a nice boy or a nice girl. I don't care which, whatever makes you happy. I'm fine either way. So I think that um, it was kind of, it's a very true representation. I felt like it wasn't sort of put on. Anyway, it's Rick's turn to kind of figure out life at this point. Also, it's his turn to take care of grandpa. Each, each child as they've gone through the ranks have had to spend Sunday with grandpa. And now it's Rick's turn. And he's, here's this old man that he doesn't really know. And he said, he just sort of like sits in the corner at every family function and doesn't talk. And, you know, now he's like sentenced to to spending his Sundays with him. So we have that kind of a sideline going on, Rick, the whole Rick and grandpa thing. We also have Rick who's got this horrendous best friend. Rick doesn't even know why he's his friend. He's a sexist. He's a homophobe. He's just a jerk. And somehow they ended up being friends in elementary school and there's, he's still stuck with him. So he's got to figure out like how to get rid of this guy, but yet he doesn't know who he wants to be. Everybody's hounding him about, do you like girls? Do you like boys? What do you like? And he's like, I don't like anybody. So he kind of is just lost and doesn't quite know, hasn't found his niche. And um, he happens upon the spectrum, the rainbow spectrum club. It gives Rick this safe space to sort of figure things out. And that's where he also learns about they call it um, Quilt Bag Plus, and that's the LGBTQIAP+. And I think it was a really good explanation about a lot of that. And it was a really good explanation for Rick because they would kind of break it down in the meetings and go over things. Um, one of the big criticisms I, I did find is a lot of people felt like they were reading a brochure about how to, you know, how to, how to learn about gender identity. And it was almost too preachy. I didn't necessarily feel that way, especially from a middle school viewpoint, but that was sort of the main criticism that I found. People thought it was just too much information. To me, it was a very typical uh, adventure story, kind of where the person is coming from the outside and they're learning along and that's how the reader gets to learn everything. Yeah, exactly. I love that part about it because I felt like I was learning so much, you know, along with Rick and I thought that was amazing. Yeah. I just thought, bring it on. I mean, bring on more explanation. It's wonderful the more we can learn about each other. So yeah, there's about, I would say about 20 pages in the back of the book that kind of lays things out further for parents and teachers and allies and that kind of thing like that. Explaining things even a little further, which was nice, which is a nice companion piece. If you were using it, like a lot of schools use, choose a book for class or you choose, for your entire grade to read it once or to for your entire department to read a book together and then discuss it. I think this would be a really great fifth or sixth grade team book to read together and kind of get a good handle on these things. There's a lot of information in there. I think one of the best discussions they had in the rainbow spectrum was the, about the singular they. I loved it because the teacher couldn't get it. He was like, I, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm trying. I'm, tr- I'm trying hard to get this. But my English teacher mentality keeps kicking it in. And I was like, I feel that one. I've had that same experience because I write a writer's club for teens and there was one amazing writer in there who introduced me to the singular they and my first run through it, I I wanted to edit it out because I'm like, no, this isn't right. And then the sweet girl explained it to me and then I tried to help her figure out ways to sort of cue the reader. Right. Because 
it is very confusing um, and not very clear when in the written word anyway. And I think that it's also interesting because Alex Gino, the writer, identifies as genderqueer and they, it's the pronoun that they've chosen. I think it's it's great. You know, it's funny because in Turkish, you don't have he and she, you have O. And I think there might be other languages that do that. So there's like, my husband is notorious for calling she, he, he, she, you know. So I really think he would embrace the whole they concept very easily. In Turkish, when I was first learning to speak Turkish, it was really really confusing too because you've you're so used to being able to say he she and there everything is just oh oh did this oh did that oh did this so it, i feel like it's something that's very um it's it's very much an english problem it's it's and it, those of us <laughs> that are writers or teachers or whatever it's a tough one but i thought that that was so great in the book that the teacher was like i am and the teacher is gay in the book and he's there with his partner and i thought it was perfect because he was like you know just because i'm part of you know, part of this world doesn't mean I can get it. I'm sorry. I'm trying my best. And I thought that was a really great, it was a really great nod from the writer too. This is like, yeah, okay. A little bit of patience. We'll give you patience. We get it. The other big criticism, and I have to join in on that one, is that it was really short. There's the whole side note of, of, of Rick getting rid of his toxic friend, which I felt like we needed more. How do I not, how do I navigate a toxic friendship and get rid of him? If I was a kid reading this, I'd like a little bit more. I need to know some more of that. There was a whole great story about grandpa and cosplaying. And I can't like tell you any more about the whole grandpa thing without giving a spoiler because it's so awesome. But grandpa's epic. Love Grandpa Ray. I know Grandpa Ray and like the science fiction nerd is like everything you need and more. Right. I feel like that is a positive yeah. critique, yeah. you know, because it meant that you love the character so much and you love the story that you weren't ready to let it go and you wanted to see more. Because the one thing too that was weird is that he feels like he's, he thinks he might be asexual. And I kind of feel like every sixth grade boy, with the exception of like a handful that are so hormonal, they don't even know what to do with themselves. It's pretty much asexual because I have been surrounded by them for years. The ones that don't, that bloom super fast. And then there's the rest of the sixth grade boys. So I felt like that was, it was a good vehicle to kind of explain. What do you think, Johnny? What are your thoughts? I think it's interesting in that when you look sort of historically, there is this sort of the beginning parts of sort of presenting stories of the other are, there's really two ways. There's first is this sort of pamphlet thing where everybody sort of, where you list things and you say, this is what you do and this is how you do it and this is what you do. And then I think the second way is where the other is a minor character, but affects a major character who is part of the mainstream. So I think those are sort of the two ways that I, I in my experience, a lot of, you know, quote unquote, the other gets introduced in literature, especially with children. And I, then I think that the other thing that you walk a very fine line in is because the definition uh, the dictionary definition of homosexuality is a primary erotic attraction to someone of the same gender. But when you're in middle grade, you don't really have, let's face it, you don't really have an erotic thing. So it's really sort of, you need to redefine what being lesbian is, what being gay is, what being bisexual is to an extent what being transgender is um that's i think a little easier for people to understand because they understand that sort of binary of boy girl um explaining non-binary is much more difficult um even to adults when you just mm -hmm. sort of want to say well just use they 
that's what the person is asking. And just out of common courtesy, just use right. they. You don't need to understand anything else right now. Just be polite. Right. It's not your world. Um, they don't have to pick a team for you. Thanks. Right. You know, just, just go with what they're asking you to do, you know? Uh, but, you know, again, also kind of defining asexuality and sort of this idea of explaining what attraction is, what romance is, what physical attraction is. When you're, you're entering a world where kids just kind of are figuring out what love is, you know, because you sort of like when you're a kid, you hear people, you know, you hear your parents say, I love you. You hear your grandparents say, I love you. You hear your aunties and your uncles and your brothers and your sisters are all, I love you. I love you. But you don't really understand what that concept is when you're a kid. You understand safe. So does love mean safety? Well, yes, but it's more than that. You know, you sort of understand these very basic emotions, but when you get into what love is, it's very complicated for a teenager. It's very complicated for a middle school, let alone for a teenager, let alone a middle schooler who's really just sort of beginning to understand it. So I think, like it, from what you y'all are describing, it sounds um, like a really wonderful sort of introduction to going well. It means this attraction thing. That's what we say it means, but it doesn't have to mean that for you. It's totally cool to take your time and figure yourself out. And the thing that I loved in the book is there's one character, Green, and Green is non-binary. But then like you go, it goes back and the kid's like, wait a minute, weren't you? And and, and like, he's like, wait a minute, wasn't your pronoun this before? And wasn't your pronoun then this before that? And Green is like, we can change. Things change. You don't get, you know, like, whoa, 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 whoa. I, I reserve the right to change my pronoun. And I thought that was awesome. And it's sort of like, that was a great way to kind of make it all like totally normal. Like, whatevs. I get, you know, and it's so middle school. I mean, my God, 20 years of middle school. I've had three students that were fully transgender and are now living opposite of what they were when I met them. Uh, I went through the whole process with two students. I have a student who's non-binary that, and they're all like in their thirties and everything now. So I think it's very true to form. I think it's right on the money. You know, and I was reading some of the um, reviews, that poor woman in Oklahoma that wrote the review was like, I want this book in my library and the library won't buy it. They say it's, it's inappropriate and everything else. And I'm like, Oh God, I, I mean, wake up, wake up. And there's nothing inappropriate in this book. Nothing. And I also think it's wonderful because it is so in Rick's like point of view that you don't feel like there is this adult hovering who wrote this story, you know, because his character just feels so authentically middle grade. But I think that's Alex Gino, because when I read some interviews, I was like, yeah, you're just a giant middle schooler. I love it. So I feel like that's just the that's just the author, you know, like the author's voice is very authentic middle school because they are very middle school. And I feel like I fall that category too. Like I just am a giant 12 year old and I'm okay with that. And I have been for not yet 50 years because I'm not 50. Yeah. Yeah. Rub it in. And none of us are, we're still young and in our early forties. So what's your book, Heather? I was super excited once I was done reading both of these books because I feel like it shows how much things have changed over the last 
10 years even, because my story is called My Mixed Up Berry Blue Summer by Jennifer Gennari. And this um, came out in 2012. So this is sort of a short story, again, kind of like Rick was a quick read. It's only 119 pages, but it's about a 12-year-old girl named June Farrell, whose mother is a single lesbian who chose to have June using a sperm donor. And she's a great mom. And the two of them live in a small town on Lake Champlain in Vermont in a somewhat kind of, I would say, idyllic setting, swimming and boating and fun, fun activity, outdoor activities, picking wild berries, that kind of stuff. Uh, They own a shop where they sell boating supplies and sandwiches and cookies and their homemade pies that they make together. June is, uh, considers herself a champion pie maker, which that made me love her so much because I love to make pies. Um, But June's mother was recently, has recently gotten involved in a serious relationship with a woman named Ava who's moved in with them. So up until this point in June's life, it's just been her and her mother. And also Ava is, a, she's very confident in her. She's very big city. Yes. she's. I think that's what it is. It's like, she's very city. And so she's like, well, it is, here's what it is. It is what it is. Stand up for what's right. End of story. And they're very small town country. Right. So I think that's the difference. June's mother, because she's never really been in a serious relationship, has sort of flown under the radar in the small town that they're in. So now that they're she's in a serious relationship, though, it's kind of drawn some attention in their town. And again, this was set back in 2000, and it's sort of caused embarrassment for June. So throughout the story, June struggles to come to terms with not only her mother's new relationship, but the discrimination and harassment that comes with it because the story is set right at the passing of the state's civil union laws in Vermont in 2000. So in some ways, I felt like the story is very uh, recognizable. Like it's about a a preteen getting a new step-parent, which she sees as disrupting her relationship with her mother. And I have to say, I got a step-parent right around that same time. And so I recognized her struggles. So I felt like that was very authentic and very, and she is kind of bratty, I know, but, and she's kind of mean to her new soon-to-be stepmother. But the civil union law kind of is in the background and the discrimination and hate that it exposed in their community is sort of plays in the background of the story. And that is what June also struggles with because her friends have different opinions. Their families have different opinions about civil unions and there's a lot of hostility in the area. It was a great little book. And as far as like, it was very charming. It felt it very young it felt even younger than if sort of like Junie B. Jones young, um, if Junie B. Jones had two parents or something, two moms. But it was also, I mean, almost 20 years ago. And I think it's interesting, too, because th- I feel like the way these two stories were approached were so completely different because they made it very clear that June is not gay. Which I was not a fan of that. It was. It felt like it was very heavy handed. Yeah. And I felt, but I felt like at that time that was, they were trying to show that gay people could have children and they wouldn't end up being gay because that was some of the arguments that people were making against it in the, in the book. I don't know. It's interesting because when I went to look up reviews about this book, I expected to see a lot of people being offended about how the gay family was handled in the story because of how things are handled now. But really, I found the opposite because a lot of the reviews were written in 2012. Yeah. 
Same thing. Oh my gosh. So do you see, I want to read part of this review because I could not believe it. So Kirkus Review completely slammed this story and this is what part of their review was. And they still have this online. I can't believe it. But unfortunately, debut author Janari portrays those opposed to civil union law as a group of misanthropic cardboard characters disrupting the library and offering inappropriate, unwelcome advice to June. The black versus white depiction of a polarizing topic pitches the story to the choir rather than providing a complex and emotionally satisfying exploration. A dramatic, somewhat unlikely climax brings a ready resolution to most of our issues, which that part is kind of true, but a one side. So they consider this a one sided exploration of a topic and it felt, they felt like it felt short and failing to plumb the potential depth of the issue, which again, this is a short middle grade story. So I feel like that's putting an awful lot of weight on a middle grade story, but also I did not feel like the characters in this story who were on the other side of the issue were cardboard cutouts. I felt like they were very much what we see. What we see are seeing every day today. All lives matter. Yes. And it's ex- it was the exact same thing. It was the same sort of Bubba from the farm who's going to, you know, like he was the one putting signs around that said, take back Vermont. We're going to take back Vermont. Um, Hello. It's the same guy who's putting around the All Lives Matter sign and ripping up the Black Lives Matter sign. It's the same thing. Of course. June's best friend was Luke. And I really thought he was a nice counter to June because as she's struggling with embarrassment and these other issues of having her life disrupted by a new person, Luke was sort of this, like, he didn't care what anyone thought about him. He was totally on the side of her mother's and really just was a nice counter to while June was sort of struggling with it. And I feel like that also kind of shows like in Rick where some kids just know who they are at middle school and they're not afraid to show it. And then other kids are struggling with it. And I just, I felt like that was rang true. And then of course there's a librarian in this story who doesn't love a good librarian who saves the day. And I mean, everyone should have a good librarian in their life. Shout out to Miss Laura, who's always has the best information for me. You're the only nerd I know that shouts out to librarians. Just, just saying. (laughs) (laughs) Come on, my brains are the best. Oh, and the fact that there's a pie recipe at the end of this story too made me very happy. Yeah, I was just, I have to say like overall, I was disappointed in the book, but I felt like the disappointment came because of the time that it was in. I guess that's the way I try to rationalize it. But then I think back to it and I'm like, you know how many lesbian families I knew that had full families in 2012? And because we had a family then, we had, you know, like we had a family then, we hung out with a, a lot of my girlfriends that were married to women also had families at that point. And I didn't feel like it wasn't like a huge trauma. I don't know. I felt like it was very overblown in that. I feel like it's interesting because the people who have reviewed it more recently, I thought would have more negative things to say about it, but they actually categorized it as more historical fiction and felt like it served a purpose, you know, as far as representing that time period. So. Yeah, I agree because it's hard to think that that, I mean, it doesn't sound like that long ago, but I guess 2000 is a really long time ago. In the way things are advancing now, absolutely. It's a long time ago as far as that goes. John, you want to give us some input? This book reminds me, I, I was adopted as a child. I am African-American. Um, I'm multiracial. I'm African-American and white. My parents are both white. And they had bought a book by John Newfield called Edgar Allen to have me read. Probably I would, I'm going to say around maybe nine, 
eight, nine years old. Um, and it's about a preacher in North Carolina who's, who is white, whose family adopts a young African-American boy. And at the end of the story, um, after they've gone through a lot of stuff because of interracial families, et cetera, et cetera, they actually end up um, giving the boy back. And your mom thought this was a good idea. Why? Well, but here's, here is the thing. You cannot paint a world for children. Children have to understand that the world is complicated. I always believe that part of the reason that we are having some of the issues that we're having now socially is because we never, we always sort of want to go, nope, we're good. Everything's good. We had the civil rights movement. We got the civil rights act passed and now everything's fine. Well, no, it's not fine. And here's why. And so if you don't explain to a child, and I'm not saying that you need to, you know, show a child like, you know, a white supremacy rally. That's, that's not what I'm saying. But I think you have to be able to prepare that child for, hey, this is going to exist. I think if you don't show a child, you know, if you don't show a questioning child, this is where we are. We're better than we were back in 2000, but we're not where we should be yet. I think you, you rob the child of a sense of history. If we don't understand where we were historically, we don't understand where we are in the present, and we don't understand that we still have so much further to go. Does that make sense? Yeah. And it's, a good, it's really good in the context of this story, too. I think that makes a lot of sense with this story. If you, if you place it in 2000, and that's very clear to the kids that this is where we were, now where we are is vastly different. It also reminds me, there were a couple of books that I read, sort of, I must have, I, my first job was in a library, and I must have stumbled across these somehow. When I was shelving, there was an author um, named uh, Sandra Scopitone, who did uh, a book called Trying to Hear You, and I think she did a book, I want to say she did a book called Loving Annabelle, but she wrote a lot of, and these are things that I would feel very comfortable recommending to an older middle school student because they were probably considered YA when I was young, but now they're not no longer young. They're probably appropriate now. Very little happens in them. But she in her books, they a lot of them deal with queer content and LGBT youth. And a lot of them go back and forth between the the having a, a lead character who is LGBTQIA plus. I'm just gonna say queer because it saves me a lot of breath. Um, who has a queer character. And then the next book kind of has a queer character as a periphery character and how people react to that character then informs how the lead character, who's generally straight and cisgendered, how the character functions in a world where there is prejudice and hatred and anger. So that, that kind of sounds like, like a, a bit what we're talking about. There's a, an Australian book by, I want to say, ironically enough, Karen Walker, called, this is going to come to me, I believe it's called Paul, I will, I'm double checking this as we speak, but anyway, it sounds to me like um, anyone who maybe wants kind of something, Peter, excuse me, Peter by Kate Walker, sorry, Peter by Kate Walker, she's an Australian writer, and it's about this, I think he's 15, his brother is older, and his brother's, one of his brother's close friends is openly gay. And he, he starts to get, 
it could be a crush or it could be an innocent kind of thing. It could just be, it could be like a man crush or it could be a romantic crush. You're never really sure because he's never really sure. And he makes a pass at this guy who's like, first of all, you're way too young. Secondly, you're my friend's brother. This is not going to happen. And Peter is, it gets to this point where he's very anxious and he's like, but I don't know because I don't feel this way for girls. And I, I think I feel this way for you, but I'm not really sure. And so they're having this conversation and the, the, the guy goes, well, but you don't have to know. That's okay. You're only 15. You have plenty of time to figure it out and you can do it any way you want to. You can experiment. You can take your time and think about it. You can read about it, do what you need to do, you know, um, but it sounds to me like for someone uh, where Rick is um, sort of going, well, I don't know what I am. I think Peter might be something that would be really good, maybe in another couple of years. How old do you think that book is? What year was that book written? Uh, I knew you were going to ask me that question. Um, 91, it looks like it was first published. Again, Australia. So probably, well, at that point, probably not very far socially ahead of the United States. But so that would be something. Um, that I would, I would certainly look at. There is a really wonderful book that I would recommend. It's interesting because the book was not originally written as a teen book, but it was kind of like the Hunger Games. The publisher went back to the author and was like, this is actually really, really YA kind of thing. Um, but the author is Peter Cameron and it's called Someday This Pain Will Be Useful to You. And it's about a kid. I think you gave me that book. I did? I think so. Yeah. Oh, probably. I, I was, I, I became very obsessed with Peter Cameron. I'm not usually one of those people who like works my way through someone's oeuvre. I'm just sort of like, oh, I really liked the book. And then I try to find something else like it, as opposed to sort of going on to that, that specific author, which is why I'm a terrible person to market to. But um, so it's about this kid who lives with his mom in New York, and he um, falls in love with his therapist. And um, it's sort of, it's, it's a very fascinating book. You know, again, I might wait 13. And the reason that I would wait is sort of, we are, we're kind of okay, given the sort of proliferation of superhero movies and that kind of thing. We're really, we seem to be okay with violence. If I had a dime for every time a parent would come into the comic store I was working at and say, well, she watches The Walking Dead. I'd be very wealthy. I wouldn't even watch The Walking Dead. I would not let my 12-year-old watch The Walking Dead, but you do you, boo-boo. It's, you know. I can't watch The Walking Dead because I'm a psycho and it scares me too much. But I do think, though, like, if you look at uh, just the news, I mean, just the, the amount of exposure to violence that they see just in passing on the news. Again, it's very graphic. So I think that, you know, like you were saying, being 14 and... 1985 versus being 14 in 2020 is vastly different. Very different. But um, generally, the, the reason that I bring that up is just to say that a lot of the books that I have read and or would recommend would be things that I would skew a little bit higher because there is maybe some sexual content, which parents are much more reluctant to sort of let their kids be exposed to that than be exposed to someone's head being blown off. Isn't that so strange? My husband and I talk about that all the time, 
how it's okay to have people dying in blood everywhere for kids, but show people like making out or something and people lose their mind. Well, then you have to explain things. You don't have to explain anything when a head blows up. You know what happened. That's true. It's interesting because I've worked as a, as a salesperson for both a publisher and in bookstores that had very large international people, but you know, like a, a lot of tourists would come in and the first question that any parent asks in the U.S. when I recommend a book is, is there sex in it? The first question that anyone outside of the U.S., Canada, Mexico, anywhere in Europe, anywhere in South America, anywhere in Asia, the first question they ask is, is there violence in it? Wow. It's really fascinating. That's telling. It's interesting because in Turkey, the same thing, like on the Turkish television, the news is horrendous. If there's a car accident, you're literally on the scene. You see the person. It is so graphic and so violent. But yet you cannot hold hands. You can't kiss. There can be no illusion that these people are have any sort of sexual relationship. There are a ton of really wonderful YA queer novels that I can recommend. But that's easy, though. Like YA is easier because I feel like they, those kids are more willing to search it out because they know what to search out. I feel like that's why books like Rick were are really important because it's that feeling where you're like, I don't know. I don't. And I remember like, I remember a lot of kids that I've taught, especially like when I was teaching theater in middle school and stuff, they always have that, like, I feel like something's different, but I don't know what it is. And that's when, you know, like sixth, seventh grade is when it starts to hit. And that's when it's, you don't even know what to search out. You know what I mean? Like you're still, you're like, something's weird. I don't know what it is. I don't know what it's supposed to, re- what like what normal is quote unquote supposed to be like. So I feel like by the time I'm ninth, 10th grade and I'm really like, all right, I know what I am. I know where I'm going. I know who I like, who I'm sort of vibing towards. Then I know to go towards like where I'm looking for in the, what section I want to look for books in that age group. Yeah. Well, I think part of that comes from the fact that when you're, you know, having now working with a publisher and kind of like doing a lot of stuff is like going, I don't understand why we're not tapping YA market. I don't understand why we're not tapping this market. What's going on? I think the thing that's interesting is middle school books, what the, the sort of scholastic buyers and the people Mm -hmm. who recommend like, well, this is the way you their recommendation is much, it has very specifically been that the main characters need to be this age. Yeah. Right. So there's less of an identification. Whereas when you're talking about YA, kids sort of haven't, you know, kids who are that age have an understanding of their identity and they go, this is who I am. And I want to be able to see myself. Middle schoolers don't see that on a conscious level. They don't know and they so are. a middle schooler is probably, I, I don't want to say never, but I think percentage wise, a middle schooler is probably less likely to say, oh, I want a queer themed book. Oh, 100%. If they happen to see themselves in it, that's great. But I think they're less likely than someone who is 13, 14, who is beginning to understand what, not only what sexual orientation is, but understand what sexuality is. And I think those are, you know, the two different things. But I mean, there's a million YA books that I can go, oh, this is just wonderful and brilliant. And I, you know, I laughed, I cried. I felt things I've never felt before. Oh my God. There's a book, a middle grade book called Five, Six, Seven, Eight, which P.S. Hello, what a brilliant, brilliant 
title, Five, Six, Seven, Nate. I mean, hello. And anyway, it's about a, a boy trying, like, kind of coming of age. He's, I think he's 12 or 13 in the theater in a musical and realizing that, yeah, you know, like that's where he can sort of be his true authentic self. Um, and the guy that wrote it, whose name is totally escaping me, and I'm so sorry, um, he also wrote a really interesting book about uh, Stonewall and um, for adults. Um, but Federally, Tim Federally. Yeah. My only concern is that, and I think that like the only wish I would have in a million dreams, which is, I mean, I get it. I understand why you want to do kids that are, you know, like with books with gay themes or queer themes and set them in like the theater group or like in Rick where they're putting on a show or whatever. I get that. It's a whole thing about identity. But the one thing that I loved, and I'm not just saying this because you're my BFF, but the one thing that I loved about your book, The Quarterback Crush, was that it was so nice to see a gay character that wasn't just in the theater. And I think that's something that um, I hope that as we see this sort of influx in more um, middle grade books with, with queer themes coming through that we see a little bit more. That's not just, everybody's not just joining the drama club because it's a safe zone, you know, like, of course it's a safe zone. We've always provided that for kids in the drama club. Let's, you know, let's see, maybe we can imagine some other safe zones too. I would love to see that. But Johnny, would you come back and do um, some more with us? Yeah, absolutely. I could listen to you talk all day. I, I really appreciate you lying to me. It makes me feel <laughs> good about myself. It doesn't mean I need to go immediately pour myself a glass of wine. So thank you. But it's Sunday and that's okay because it's time. I'm going to go pour myself one. <laughs> I'm going to go have a spritzer by the pool. It's afternoon somewhere. <laughs> Last night, my husband was like, I was out there with, with the kids and he was like, um, the kids left. And I'm like, yeah, I know. He's like, you're in the floaty. And I'm like, yeah, I know. I'm floating around in my floaty. And he goes, I feel like you bought that for yourself. And I'm like, well, why would you say that? He's like, well, it's too big for the little one. And the other one, I've never seen anybody in it but you. And I'm like, well, duh, of course I bought it for myself. That's also why it's pink. And that's okay. Okay. And it's got a little hole holder for my wine spritzer. So welcome to my world. Living the dream up here. So John, do you think we handled this topic okay? Did we do okay? Yeah, absolutely. And I, you know, I don't, I mean, I don't have a degree in sociology or gender studies or queer studies or anything like that. You know, the best, I think, I think the most important thing that anybody can do is just the best that you can do. And if you get something wrong, just go, oh, I got this wrong and here's why I should have phrased it differently. Because I think one of the most important things we sort of forget to teach our kids is it's okay to make a mistake. You just have to own up to it and apologize for it. Own it. Yep. You know, and I sort of think that one of the things that we forget as adults is like, it's okay to say, sorry. It doesn't mean you're a bad person. Mm -hmm. You know, um, I always... I'm a huge comic book nerd, as as Margie knows, as she um, often makes fun of me for it, but in a but in a lovely way. But I think one of the things that I have always really loved about superhero stuff is, you know, you're not a hero because you're perfect. You're a hero because you screw up and you keep going and you try to make it better. Um, so you know what? Yep, screwed up something together, and you know your listeners will let us know and they'll say to us, hey. This is the way that you should phrase that next time. And you don't know what you don't know. That's the thing, though. Like, that's the whole point. You don't know what you don't know. And there's no reason to say, 
otherwise I don't like, I haven't walked in your shoes. You haven't walked in my shoes. So how can I, you know what I mean? I feel like, so being open to that, that's all we all have to do. If people would just shut up, wear their masks and be open. We'd all be a better world. Amen. I'm done. <laughs> and I have Heather, just so you know, I have tried to walk in Margie's shoes, but they're very small. <laughs> they are for as fat as, as fat as I am. You would think they would be bigger. There are several pairs of shoes that I have tried to walk in, mostly some sort of animal print. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, all right. So Heather, (laughs) what are we doing next? All right. So for our next episode of Tulip Mamas, we'll be discussing our favorite genre, cozy murders. I couldn't believe it when I found out there were cozy murders for kids. It made me so happy. (laughs) You know, I love them, but I feel like we should have like, like, uh, like Irish coffees or something when we do that episode. Hot toddies. Hot toddies and cozy murders. Anytime you guys want to talk about kids' series books from the 30s and 40s, you want to, if you want to talk about Nancy Drew, Hardy Boys, Dana Girls, Judy Bolton. Oh, my God. Heather's literally has drool running from her face right now. Like You want to talk about Beanie Malone, Connie Blair, you, Cherry Ames, you let me know. You guys just go oh, have yay. a date without me now. I feel, I feel like I brought my world. My, my worlds have come together and I can, like, let you all go on now. All right. Thank you for listening to Two Lit Mamas. We really appreciate your support. And if you'd like to learn more about us, you can visit our website at www.twolitmamas.com. Not T-O-O, not T-O, not the number two. It's T-W-O. This is a grammar lesson every time. We all need to learn how to do our two, two, twos and our there, there, there's. Um, that's where you can sign up on our blog. We're also on Facebook under Two Lit Mamas and on the Insta where only the cool kids are. <clears throat> neither of these two are on the Instagram at two number two lit mama's podcast. And if you want to join us twice a month for kid lit discussions, please subscribe to our podcast through any of the places where you get your podcasts. Thank you. Bye. Bye. Say bye, John. Bye.